Let's pray. Lord, Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts this morning to receive your word. Do what you have always planned to do and make us into the people you've always desired us to be. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So, this is the last week in our series, How About No? And I just want to say how thankful I am to have had this opportunity. I don't know what other church I could be at as an assistant pastor and be able to preach four times in a row. So I want to thank you all for all of your open arms throughout my ministry. This is where I spread my wings. But most importantly, I want to thank Pastor Chris because it's his whole um, responsibility, and, and, and he's the one to give credit to in giving me this opportunity. I'm thankful to serve under his leadership. Um, but enough with the gushy stuff. <laughs> let's, let's get to the last how about no. So we've been in this series where we've been trying to discover what it's like to say yes to those things that we would much rather say no to. Lord, I'd rather not. Lord, I really don't want to do that. How about no? So, so far we've talked about how the Lord says, follow my plan because he has set us aside for a purpose before we were even born. And to do anything other than that purpose would be sacrilege. And then we talked about how the Lord calls us to embrace the unpopular truth to accept his truth for ourselves, but also to share that truth with others. And last week we talked about how he tells us to quit whining. Because he never guaranteed it would be easy. He guaranteed he'd be with us, and he guarantees a good outcome in the end. But the pathway there is going to be difficult, likely. Run with the horses. So follow my plan. Embrace the unpopular truth. Quit whining. And today, I want to talk to you about making a risky investment, buying a field. What could God have to say about buying a field? So I've been looking into the stock market lately because I'm having a kid, and I'm thinking about all that, like, money stuff, you know, like, how do I make my money work for me instead of working for money, right? And I've come to find that sometimes it is just about being in the right place at the right time. Example being, when Google acquired the thermostat company Nest, people went crazy and started buying the stock that was abbreviated Nest. It boosted it by 1,900%, but it wasn't the Nest they thought it was. It was a traffic system company. Well, good for them. On the flip side, there was a guy who invested in Bitcoin in its early time when it was super cheap. Put it on a flash drive, put it in a drawer, forgot about it. Bitcoin was $1,000, and he's fumbling around looking for this flash drive, finds it, plugs it in, and the flash drive doesn't work. Sometimes it's about being in the right place at the right time. Jeremiah seems to be in the right place at the right time. Time. He has a real estate opportunity. And this is good for Jeremiah because they say it's good to diversify your portfolio, right? To put, spread out your money into different investments so it's not as risky when this thing over here that has high risk, this thing over here that has low risk will even you out, 
right? So I don't lose everything if something goes crazy. They say, too, real estate helps you to fight inflation because it hopefully, supposedly, rises and falls with it. And two, you could have passive income as being a landlord and all that. So this could be quite the opportunity for Jeremiah. So let's look at the situation. Jeremiah has been imprisoned by King Zedekiah because he's preaching doom and gloom. In fact, he says that Zedekiah is going to be captured. Zedekiah doesn't like this. So he locks him up in the jail in the palace. And so while Jeremiah's there knocking his tin cup on the bars, playing cards with his friends, getting tattoos, he gets a knock on the door from the guard. And he says, Jerry, it's your cousin Hanamel here to visit you. And I just want to put, hit pause there for a second. Because if I was in jail, I don't think my cousin is coming to visit me. I'm planning on my wife. I'm planning on Pastor Chris. I'm planning on my friends coming to visit me. But why is my cousin coming to visit me? Maybe you have a different relationship with your cousins. It's not that I don't love them. It's just not who I'm expecting, right? Your cousins are the people you wrestle on the floor at your aunt's house at Christmas. They're the people you always had to sit next to in elementary school because you had the same last name. They're the people that you hang out with when you have no friends. <laughs> and there's always that one weird one. If, if there's not, then it's probably you. <laughs> right? So his cousin is coming to visit him, and he wants to make a business proposition. He wants to sell him a field for 17 shekels. Sounds like a pretty good deal, right? Except we don't know how much that money's worth, really, in our, in our heads. I tried to do some research. They, they said that the cheapest labor got two shekels a month, two pieces of silver a month. The most skilled labor could have got 10 shekels a month. So let's be optimistic for Jeremiah's sake and, and say that he got four shekels a month. If that's the case, Jeremiah would take four months and one week's wages, supposing that he didn't spend it on anything else, to buy this field. And considering the fact that Abraham bought a field for 400 shekels, sounds like a pretty good deal. Of course, we don't know what the acreage is or if one's next to a lake or has access to a highway or anything like that and all these other factors. But the Lord told him to buy it. So I want to assume that it's just a pretty good deal. The Lord knows what he's doing, right? And after all, a financial guru once said, the biggest risk of all is not taking one. So Jeremiah decides to take the risk. He buys the field. And honestly, it sounds like a pretty official process. There's people there to weigh the money he has witnesses there as he signs the deed. Someone's there to check his credit score and everything. And he signs that thing and gives it to his scribe, Baruch, and says, put this in a safety deposit box. Put this in a jar. And I don't know if you know anything about pottery, but that's the thing you're always seeing in the museums. If someone didn't smash it, 
right? So Jeremiah puts it in this container where it's going to be safe to be kept for a long time. But I'm still confused, aren't you? Why would the Lord ask him to buy this field? Why would Hannah Mel be wanting to sell the field? Let's look at verses 1 through 5 in chapter 32. The following message came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. This was also the 18th year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Jerusalem was then under siege from the Babylonian army, and Jeremiah was imprisoned in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace. King Zedekiah had put him there, asking why he kept giving this prophecy. This is what the Lord says. I am about to hand this city over to the king of Babylon, and he will take it. King Zedekiah will be captured by the Babylonians and be taken to meet the king of Babylon face to face. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon, and I will deal with him there, says the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will never succeed. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm starting to question Hannah Mel's intentions. Because I'm thinking that Hannah Mel has this idea spinning in his head. He sees the country about to be taken over, the Babylonians moving in. Maybe they've even already taken over that land. Jeremiah can't see what part they've taken over. He just knows from the Lord they're coming. And Hannah Mel thinks, man, I need to liquidate my assets. I need to cut and run. And it says he follows the law. He goes to Jeremiah. I wonder if that was his intent. He thought Jeremiah would buy it. Maybe he thought Jeremiah was stupid enough to buy it. Let's get 17 shekels out of him. So the Lord essentially calls Jeremiah to throw away 17 shekels, to buy land. Yes, he has the deed, but Jeremiah is never going to see this field, this field that is in his hometown. He's never going to see it. The Babylonians are going to take it over. But... The Lord did tell Jeremiah that they were only going to be in exile for 70 years. So maybe, even though he'd be pretty old, maybe the Lord's looking out for his retirement so he can build a nice house on this field, right? Except if we do the math, we, we never get the exact age of Jeremiah in this book. We're only told that he was a boy when he was called, and then we have a timeline from there. So if we guess that he was 17 in chapter 1, by the time we get to chapter 32, he's around 50 or 60. So add 70 on that, and he's 120 or 130. I don't think, now it's not that I'm lacking in faith in the Lord. I don't think Jeremiah is going to live long enough to see that, assuming he didn't die by stoning as tradition holds. So yes, Jeremiah is called to throw away 17 Shekels. And I don't care how holy of a man you are. I do not like to see money wasted. To know that money could have been used for something else. Who knows what Hannah Mel will use that money for? 
Why would God ask Jeremiah to do such a thing? God asked the prophets to do some really crazy stuff. He asked Jeremiah to bury some underwear at one point to make a point. He asked Hosea to marry a prostitute. He asked Ezekiel to lay on his side and eat food cooked over cow dung. God asked the prophets to do some pretty crazy stuff. So this is more tame than the rest of it. Buy a field, Jeremiah. But God wouldn't call us to something as crazy as that, would he? God wouldn't call us to throw away something like that. Do something so seemingly unwise, so irrational, would he? And so while people are watching this transaction, I imagine they're shaking their heads at Jeremiah, knowing that he's wasting his money or just thinking he's crazy for wanting to make a business deal while he's in jail. But the Lord asked him to do it, to buy this field that he was never going to be able to see. And if Scripture teaches us anything, it's that God's ways are not our ways, that the foolish things in the world are many times wise in God's eyes, that the wise things in the world are many times foolish in God's eyes. And so from a worldly standpoint, the investment is nerve-wracking. It doesn't make sense. It's stupid. It's a dumb decision. But from a heavenly standpoint, it's a message of grace. It's a message of hope. Hanamel in Hebrew means the gift of God. And maybe Hanamel did have good intentions. Maybe God did ask Hanamel to sell him this field for this purpose. But Jeremiah did receive a gift that day, even if it seemed like he threw 17 shekels away. God was going to do something with that field, regardless of whether or not Jeremiah was going to live to see it. A wonderful investment in God's kingdom is often a horrible investment in the world. A wonderful investment in God's kingdom is often a horrible investment in the world. And to be clear, I don't think that the principle here is actually financial. I think this is common across the board, is that when God asks you to do something crazy, it often looks horrible in the world, but it's wonderful in the kingdom of God. And even if the world and God can't agree on this, they can't agree on something else, that it's all about the risk. If you want to get a big payoff, you have to be willing to risk a lot. Big gains also leave possibility for big losses. Faith costs you something. Buying the field costs you something. But the risk is worth the reward. Faith costs you something, but the risk is worth the reward. Buying the field is going to cost you something, but the risk is worth the reward. 
Jeremiah was never going to see that field. You might never see the fruit of what God has asked you to do. But he wants to do it for somebody else. There's something he's working out in the future that's part of his plan. Can you imagine the look on the person's face that found the jar? That owned the field? That was a testament to the fact that God was going to bring them back. Again, you will buy fields and houses and vineyards here. Jeremiah never got to see it. But somebody did. You might not get to see the reward. You might get to see the reward on this side of heaven. But you might not. But that doesn't mean it's any, that it's not worth the investment. So while in Jeremiah's situation, it it sounds hopeless, the end of the book of Jeremiah ends with a glimmer of hope. They're still not in their homeland, but the king releases a Jewish king, Jehoiachin, pointing toward the fact that God is, in fact, going to bring them back to the land. And when you read Ezra, the first chapter, first verse, it says this. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. The exile was over. The people got to come back to their land. God meant what he said. When Jeremiah bought the field, he was pointing toward that very moment. He lived his whole life in abandoned for the Lord and never got to see the fruit of what God was going to do. There is always a payoff, though, when an act of faith is rooted in obedience to what God is asking you to do. To the crazy field that he is asking you to buy. There is always a payoff. You might not live to see it, but the good news is that even if Jeremiah didn't get to see the payoff in this life, he's going to see the payoff in the new heaven and the new earth. I'm sure you're going to be able to see all kinds of things that the Lord asked you to do that didn't make sense here, but are going to make sense one day. But you have to be willing to buy the field, to let Jesus Christ work in it. God is asking you to take a step of faith for the sake of his kingdom, to buy a field, to make a horrible investment in the world so you can make a wonderful investment in the kingdom of God. So how are you going to go about doing that? Three things. First, you got to open your ears. If you ever want to hope to hear what the Lord, to hear what field the Lord is asking you to buy. First, you got to listen. Jeremiah would have never been able to listen to the Lord had he not been listening, been able to act in obedience, had he not made himself available. You have to be willing to say, Lord, what fields are you asking me to buy? What things that don't make sense from a worldly standpoint are you asking me to do? And then second, look for confirmation. It's not a sin to want to know exactly what the Lord said. 
to be sure it was him who spoke, to be sure it wasn't the enemy trying to trick us, it's okay to look for confirmation, to put a fleece out, so to speak, to ask a trusted advisor what they think, to, to pray with somebody else, to look for confirmation. And then you got to buy the field. you got to buy the field. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to move into a time of response here. you got to buy the field. you got to be willing to lose the 17 shekels, even if you don't see the payoff. All of these things that we have been talking about in this series, these things that we would rather say, Lord, how about no to, are opportunities to buy the field. When God says, follow my plan and not your own, he's asking you to buy a field. When God asks you to embrace the unpopular truth, he's asking you to buy a field. When God is telling you to quit whining, he's asking you to buy a field. So I don't know what field the Lord is asking you to buy. It could be something simple, an everyday act of obedience, or it could be a big life change. I don't know if God has been asking you to speak to a certain person. Maybe he's been asking you to leave Marion. Maybe he's been asking you to start a nonprofit ministry here. Maybe he's asking you to move to a different spot in Marion to minister to someone else. Maybe he's asking you to change jobs so you can be inside of a different career or so you have more margin to serve him. I don't know what field he's asking you to buy. That's between you and the Lord. But a horrible investment in the world's eyes is a wonderful investment in the kingdom. So we're going to sing the song, Give Me Faith, and, and the, song, the altar is going to be open this morning for you to come and sign the deed this morning, to commit to buying the field. To say, yes, Lord, I am willing to do this. I know it's a horrible investment in the world, but I know it's going to be a wonderful investment in your kingdom. Even if I don't get to see it on this side of heaven, I look forward to the day, Jesus, when I stand next to you and you show me why you had me buy that field. It's time to quit saying, how about no? It's time to say, how about no? Yes. What field is he asking you to buy? The altars are open. Come and buy.